At this time, brethren, we're blessed to have our second message for today, brought to, you, brought to us by Barnabas Grayson, entitled, Walk by Faith, Not by Sight. Good afternoon, everyone. Of course, that uh, expression is a relative to how you're feeling today. I know there's a, like mentioned, there's a lot of colds and flus going on around. Once again, you have a handout that might keep you oriented toward uh, the scriptures that I'll be using. I probably won't use all of them, depending on uh, how, you know, if I get sidetracked or something. But we walk by faith and not by sight, so... We'll walk in faith, trusting that this uh, s- sermon will have an end. So when I see you about halfway take out your fidget spinners, I'll know to sort of wrap it up. Did you forget your fidget spinners? <laughs> I got one. Somewhere. In 2 Sirec- in Corinthians chapter 5, and in verse... Uh, 2 to 6, that shouldn't be 52 to 6, but uh, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, this, the following verse says a lot, says a lot about what a Christian believes in, what a Christian has faith in, and what we believe in as followers of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, saying to the Corinthian church, he said in verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, which means a tent, which is in reference to our physical body and its transient character, if it were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we're told that we dwell now in an earthly terrestrial body, a mortal body that's subject to weakness, to the afflictions of mind and body, and subject to the perils and and the evil that is present in this world, both of which are just temporary when we think about it. So like any earthly house, it is subject, we are subject to the ravages of time and the conditions that, that surround us, that come upon us, the rain, the storm, and the fire that comes not only upon you know, physical dwellings like houses, but also into our own lives. But the Christian faith, we know, is to be one of hope that when the time comes, and it will, that this earthly mortal body that we have will inherit everlasting life in a new and immortal body, something that we hope for, something that is not seen as yet. And that will be at the resurrection in the future when Christ returns and the angels, you know, gather the faithful at that time. So it will be a time, as the word of God says, there will be no more tears, no more sorrows. Verse 2, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Verse 3. If so, that uh, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. 
when we are clothed, we uh, won't be found naked. For while we are in this tent, in verse 4, that is this earthly house, this temporary dwelling that we are in, we groan and are burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling that is to come, so that this mortal life will be swallowed up by life. So we groan, we're troubled, we're besieged on every side, and we are weighed down, and we cry and sigh sometimes. Not to be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up by this life, this eternal life, that when we're made immortal. So these are things, the Christians, that we all hope for in life that we want, uh, that we look for in the promise. If we overcome, if we want to inherit everlasting life, and that's the thing that we as Christians look for. So we know that in this life there are things that we must overcome. And we can only do that with God's help, with the help of Jesus in his word that gives us encouragement, that gives us instruction. Verse 5, Now he that has wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest of uh, spirit, of the spirit. So he has given us a spirit, his spirit, that is kind of like a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And we are made for this very purpose of overcoming, of facing trials, and also of overcoming them. So this would be like giving, someone giving you a key to a new, to a new house, or maybe to a new car. You just know it's going to be a house or a car, but you don't know what it looks like. But you have that key in your hand. And so that's what has been described to us, a hope for things yet unseen. We also know from scripture that eye has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Love, if you look at it in 1 Corinthians, you know that love means having trust. It means being faithful. Verse 6, therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, while we live in this body, we are absent from the Lord. We're not there yet. So we know that as long as we are in this body, we have to live in it. We have to live in whatever condition the body finds itself at some time. But we also know that we are, uh, are away from the Lord. Then in verse 7, that uh, famous scripture we've, we've read many times, for we walk by faith and not by sight. To walk means being patient. It means in, you don't need to be in a great hurry. So we don't walk by sight because faith and hope is in those things not yet seen, but which lays ahead. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the faith chapter. In verse 1, we see uh, the definition of what faith is. But more than what we see there, it describes what faith does. For example, we look at verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, yet moved with fear. And pre he prepared an ark 
to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir. of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah was moved by faith because he believed God's warning. And Noah's faith turned into action. So his faith had substance. It had the realization or the assurance of things that were to come, of things that were hoped for, with the evidence, or that is the conviction, of things hoped for, though not seen. Verse 6 there says, uh, go back to the it, but without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That the end of our faith is some kind of blessing, some kind of reward that, you know, eye has not seen or ear heard what that is going to be. We take a look at Joseph we know that believing in the unseen God takes faith. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the, of, uh, the departing of the children of Israel. And he gave commandment concerning his bones. You know, Joseph had spent most of his life in Egypt. But he was convinced that God would open up a path to the promised land, which moved him to order that his bones, at, when that time came, would be taken along to the promised land. So when you think about faith, are we moved with that, with that same kind of faith? On the handout that I gave you, uh, there's a, some lines there. Uh, I've titled each one of these, and I didn't put it there on your handout, but first, uh, where we began, that first line uh, I've titled, Walking by Faith. The next line, I just thought, thought I'd go ahead and put these ahead of you. Uh, where you see the next line, yeah, faith moves. That's what I tattled, titled that section. And the third line there is the question of, is the Lord among us? Is the Lord among us? And the next uh, column, next to 1 Corinthians 10, we find, uh, I have examples written for our admonition. And in the next line below it, desiring a better country and the last line, fix eyes on not what's seen. And then I have a title at the end. Uh, I uh, won't go any further. I'll just uh, leave that as we come back to it. So, are we moved with the same kind of faith of having the assurance and conviction that we will press on no matter what things try to hold us back or what things confront us in our life? What will it take for us to exercise the faith that we do have and uh, do it pleasing to God? Remember, Noah lived at a time when the society around him became corrupt, filled with violence. It was all over the earth, and everything man was doing was only constantly and continually evil. And people fed off of it. They didn't try to turn around, and so it grew. And in a way, it's not unlike today because Jesus said the time would come when the love of many, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So in Noah's day, God decided he would put an end to man at that time, but he saved Noah and his family. And he would restart the purpose for 
which he gave to man at the beginning, which was to make man in his image. So when he put man on earth, he put him in an earthly tent, a mortal tent. He made him terrestrial to be made eventually into the image of God as sons of God, faithful and able to overcome the world. Now that's a long story, but Christians, those today are being trained in their overcoming in order to let faith have its perfect work for use in the world to come. And so when we have these trials and these troubles, whatever they might be, we find it's oftentimes a test of faith, of how deep our belief is in trusting uh, the eternal. In 2 Peter 1, we read, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is his divine power that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our, what, knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So you look at those words, great, that means it's, you know, awesome, and uh, that it is precious. And when something is precious, you don't want to let it go, but you want to hold on to it. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. So when you look around the world today, what, is, what's do, what, what causes all that corruption? It's caused by evil desires. For this very reason, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to goodness, knowledge. We know that in this world there is an unseen being. It's Satan who deceives the whole world, and he has an influence in everything society has to offer. He wants to infiltrate our hearts and our minds in whatever way he can. And his waywardness can be found in social media, in TV, and music, in games, and science so-called, and whatever. Because he seeks to damage, seeks to do damage to people, to families, and to nations. So we must be careful and not let our faith falter or grow weak because we know that it can. The next section, the next title, Faith Moves. So right now, let's go back to some history of, of God's uh, test, testing and also uh, building faith in his people. We know that he used Moses to lead his uh, people from Egyptian captivity and the oppression that they were facing. And through God, Moses performed miracles to convince Pharaoh to set the people free, let my people go, and also to show to Pharaoh the power of God that he had over the false gods and the powerless gods of Egypt that they believed in. But it took, you know, the last plague, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, to cause Pharaoh to finally let God's people go. 
So the people left with a high hand. They left with a mighty hand. While behind them, Egypt was left devastated, but not really quite done in. So Pharaoh, we read, he had a change of heart. And he wished he had not let the people go. His heart filled with vengeance. The Egyptians were up in arms over having let them go. So they wanted to avenge themselves. And so Pharaoh sent out the nation's elite force of chariots and warriors to go after them. Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. So it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? They had labored to do all the uh, building and all the uh, things that it, uh, Egypt needed to keep their nation going. And he took... Pharaoh made ready his chariot, in verse 6, and he took his people with him. We, so we see not only was Pharaoh turned against the people, that his heart had uh, uh, hardened. In verse 7, he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. So he had an elite force charging after the Israelites who were breaking free from Egypt. And we know that Egypt is... is uh, typifies sin. And so the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, in verse 8, and the children of Israel went out with that high hand. So God hardened the king's heart. The children went out with a, with a high hand. They marched out boldly and spoiled the Egyptians, who in a way paid them to leave to get out of town. And so Pharaoh... And his people saw that their power was crushed right before their eyes. And what Pharaoh saw was his personal defeat as a mighty king. For the Pharaoh can, uh, could consider themselves, you know, as God on earth. So Pharaoh could not stand for this. And the situation he was in only made him angry. He was full of pride. He was high and mighty in his own eyes. And he was not quite ready to bite the dust. So everything that was happening to Pharaoh hardened his heart. I will harden the Pharaoh's heart, said God. So what God had in store, for he knew the kind of man that Pharaoh was, would only bring about, bring out of the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's own obstinance and stubbornness that was already there in the king's heart. God knew how Pharaoh would react. He knew the king's heart, his mindset, and those things that God would do to the Egyptians through Moses, God knew beforehand would harden uh, Pharaoh's selfish heart. So the Israelites marched out with a mighty hand, and this was quite, uh, this made, uh, pulled out the wrath of, of Pharaoh. Exodus 14, let's go to verse 10. So when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They took a look around and looking behind them. And then they said, and, and then they were uh, sore afraid because there were the Egyptians. 
chasing after them, coming after them in the distance. And so the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and, but they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Verse 12. Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So Moses said unto the people, he said, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, in verse 14, and you shall hold your peace. So when we're being chased by whatever trouble or trial there might be pursuing us, that we have to remember to put faith in these words and in the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, that the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Sometimes it's uh, confusing to others when a Christian decides that instead of arguing or going on about getting revenge, instead they turn the other cheek because they believe that the Lord shall fight for them. But as we go on, you know, they came upon this deep sea of water and they had gone as far as they could. They had a good lead on the Egyptians, but here they were stuck before this, this sea, this Red Sea. And the Lord said unto Moses, after Moses uh, had cried to the Lord, he said to Moses, Wherefore cry you unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Why are you crying to me, he said. Tell the people to move on. Go forward. So he said to Moses in verse 16, But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of of the sea. It's kind of interesting to, to wonder, you know, Moses with the rod, and there was a sea that was before them, deep water, that he used his staff and he divided the water. He looked about, maybe for a crossing, but then he used a staff and he would uh, put it on this side, then put it on that side. And so that was the rod. And the people had seen what that rod could do when it was used to convince the Egyptians to let the people go. So they were looking at this physical thing, trusting that, you know, God is going to do something. And divide it, verse 16, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Verse 17, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the eternal. When I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed, and it went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went, before their, uh, went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. 
So we had this, this pillar, this cloud, that was between the Egyptian pursuers and uh, Israel, children of Israel, to sort of slow uh, their advance down. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave uh, not, light by night to these so that no one came not near the other all the night. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, verse 21, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. So you can picture, imagine yourself there hearing this wind, hearing the water, hearing this sea that was parting. Then, verse 22, and the children of Israel went into the middle of the sea upon dry ground, which should have been muddy, could have had, you know, probably dead fish laying in it, whatever was under there. And they uh, walked upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. You know, in uh, our imagination, you know, sometimes we picture a great high wall on both sides, of, and that it's just stopped there. Could have been just as high as these uh, ten-foot walls where the ceiling uh, begins. But there was a wall, and on either side, the waters were stopped. Where at first, in the beginning, the Israelites saw this is a problem. How are we going to get across this sea? And the Egyptians are right behind us. So <clears throat> Moses. From, you know, verse, from verse 22 to uh, 27, I, you can probably read those yourself. We know that the Egyptian forces, that they then went after uh, them. And the, the thing about it is, you know, that the wheels of those chariots all came off. They just fell off, and the, uh, the chariots began dragging there that dirt, which was dry, and... So they, what did that do to the uh, Egyptians? They retreated, seeing that the Lord was fighting against them. But Moses stretched out, in verse 27, stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea then was returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. Thus the Eternal saved Israel that day, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the shore, upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they were witnesses to the supernatural power of, of God, the Lord, upon the Egyptians, and also of his promises to save. But then, throughout the history that we read, we see where the Israelites had ups and downs along their way. So we come to the question here, is the Lord among us, they asked. Exodus 15, what brought that about? Along the way, you, we know that the people encountered difficulties, just as we do in our journey through what we might look at as the wilderness of the world. Three days into the wilderness of Shur, they found no water. 
and what water they found was bitter and they grumbled against Moses saying what shall we drink and the people murmured verse 24 against Moses saying what shall we drink and he cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters they were made sweet there he made for them a statute and an ordinance and there he proved them so Moses went to God and God showed him this tree and when it was thrown into the water the water became sweet and so we hear a see, uh, uh, something that is a key also that opens the door to miracles and that is a prayer and that is going before God when we in our own trials uh, need to make the water sweet so God had led them to this point the waters of Merab where the water was made sweet and there also it was an opportunity that he made for them a statute and an ordinance and there he proved them and he said if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do what is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that heals you Exodus chapter 16 so they journeyed into the wilderness of sin and they were hungry this time they were longing for food that they, that they had the kind of food that they had left behind in Egypt they were talking about all the things that they ate there and they also were beginning to starve and you know just talking about food probably made them much more hungrier and once again they mumbled and they grumbled and they complained against God who heard them and so the Lord spoke unto Moses in verse 11 saying I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them saying at even you shall eat flesh you're gonna have some meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God so it came to pass that at evening quails came up covered the camp <clears throat> and in the morning the dew lay around about the host and when they and when the dew that lay was gone when it had you know, gone up evaporated behold upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing small round thing as small as the hoarfrost on the ground and when the children of Israel saw it they said one to another it's it is manna which you know to them meant what is it what's it because they did not know what it was so Moses said unto them this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat so this miracle of the manna we know would serve to ingrain into the children of Israel the keeping of the Sabbath in which day it was and it was also a sign that God was with them Exodus chapter 17 and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink and again wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said give us water that we may drink and Moses said unto them why chide you me wherefore do you tempt the Lord you know chide means to scold it means to rebuke it it and you do that with you know sharp criticism criticism so they were quarreling against Moses and in essence were testing God but the people thirsted there for water and so they murmured they grumbled against Moses because they were desperate 
for water. You know, when you have these physical necessities and you're feeling the, the discomfort of something you lack for your body, you know, sometimes we ourselves grumble. We snap at one another. Probably wondered why I say that, you know. My wife would know. <laughs> And they said, Where, why is this, they asked, that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? In doing so and thinking all of this, you know, the people were tempting God because he could hear their murmuring. You know, we think of God as being, you know, just very by himself. But, you know, every one of us has an angel. The angels uh, appear before his throne. And, you know, they carry messages. They carry uh, uh, what's going on in this world. And that murmuring that we do against God, you know, it, it can reach his ear. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. So Moses was a little beside himself because of the attitude of these people. He didn't know what would happen next. After all these miracles that was seen in, in Egypt, here they were, kind of forgetting the power that God had shown them. And he was beginning to fear for his life also. So there were ups and downs for the people on their journey. There were times they had plenty, times they thirsted, times they hungered, times they had trouble and trial, just like we do in this life. But they saw what God could do for them from the miracles shown in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea where they, they uh, you know, hesitated. So... Yet, they fell into doubt when difficulty came upon them. It was a time of testing, a time when they looked like there was no hope, a time when their situation looked bleak, and they had to exercise faith. So, seeing faith is important to God. And along their journey, the Eternal was building that faith through the ups and downs. In Proverbs 24.10, it says, If you faint... The day of adversity. Your strength is small. Sometimes we faint in our day at adversity. And this scripture would come to mind. Your strength is small. And the Lord said in verse 5 to Moses. Go on before the people. And take with you the elders of Israel. And your rod wherewith you smote the river. Take in your hand and go. Behold I will stand before you. And there upon the rock in Horeb. Smite the rock. And there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And so Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, which means place of testing, and Meribah, which means place of quarreling, because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord among us? Sometimes people, sometimes we wonder about that. When things come along that test the faith, our faith, why do I have this trial? Why is life bitter to me? Why do I hunger? Why, what am I hungering for? Is the Lord with me? Or is he among us or not? So God allowed these trials, these temptations to come upon the children of Israel in their journey through the wilderness toward the promised land. They grumbled, they mumbled, and they complained, giving over to their own human nature, doubting God and his promises even after having witnesses, witnessed God's power. So in sum, 
Their faith and trust in God was multiplied, in others it lagged. Is the Lord among us? They cried. Psalm 106 gives us kind of an understanding of the attitude of the people there. Our fathers understood not your wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the sea, Red Sea also, and it was dried up. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They believed they his words. They sang his praise, they, but they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. So dropping down to verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. Nevertheless, we see in verse 44 that God, the eternal, the ever-loving, ever-merciful God, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. So we see in 1 Corinthians 10, there in verse 1, where it's, it's where, uh, that God was not well pleased with some of them, but verse 1, chapter 10, Brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the, uh, the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. In physical terms, they saw the food come to them. They saw the water that they could drink. They saw these material things. But at the same time, God was teaching them the spiritual nature of those things. Because, you know, he said, man shall not live by bread alone. And that no matter how much water you drink, you're going to get thirsty again. But with many of them, it says, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So on. So a lot of sinful habits accompanied the people that came from out of Egypt. They had human nature to try to put into control. They had the spirit of God leading them and uh, building their faith along the way. But many of them, they didn't diligently hearken to the voice of the eternal and do what was right and heed his, his commandments according to the, the ordinances that he uh, proved at the waters of uh, Marah. Verse 9, it says, To neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So we see that who was being tempted? It was Christ there in the wilderness. They were, uh, and they were destroyed of serpents. So neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. So we read of these things there in, all, uh, in Exodus. And they happen unto us 
as our examples, and they were written for our admonition. Verse 11. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, it's possible to fall. It's possible to give up on faith. It's possible to lose it in some way. Verse 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And when a temptation or a trial comes along, we think, well, this is, uh, I don't know if we, I can't endure this. And so we think we're the only ones suffering. But there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And I would suspect that, you know, the, the flu, the season, and other sicknesses that uh, others are suffering right now, uh, that... Uh, that uh, it's common. It's going around. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above. That you're able. But will with the temptation. Also make a way to escape. That you may be uh, able to bear it. Yesterday. Uh, my. Uh, my wife. You know who she is. <laughs> Carol. Uh, she was talking to. Uh, daughter Charity and uh, Charity told uh, 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 I started to say grandma but Carolyn but you know who I'm talking about told her that Cain who's our oldest grandson has the flu and so they were you know talking about you know this flu going around and how it can be bad on some people and so we went out to the car but she had told me she said uh, Barnabas if you feel weak feel hot, if your throat feels sore, if you start, your nose starts dribbling or whatever, uh, you could be coming down with the flu. And you know what? I was feeling okay up until that point. <laughs> and it became, I guess, psychosomatic because I began to start feeling those symptoms. I, 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 I can't breathe. I'm kind of, it's hard to swallow. And so, uh, I begin to uh, worry about myself, and, and uh, I think my faith is faltering because I usually don't bring up a tissue, but I brought some tissue up just in case. I think I'm coming down with it. No, I'm just kidding. I hope I'm kidding, but, but there has no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. Now, we've heard and read that many times, and we know that without faith it is impossible to please God. So as we look back into the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Uh, we can look at each name that is listed there. And we can go back into the pages of the Bible. To find their stories concerning faith. And as I even look at these names. I think of those names that I once knew. Who are no longer here with us who were in this church who died in faith. And so, you know, we come to the point where we think, well, is my name going to be listed there? But let's look at the first name listed, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, being dead, yet speaks. Even though Abel is dead. And some of these others that we read about in, in this list of uh, the faithful. 
They still speak to us because each one of them has a story to tell just as if we were to come up here and give a personal testimony about our uh, trials and how we've overcome them. It would be a witness to the faith. By faith, Abel offered, a, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And why was it better? Because his was with blood and Cain's without. That's what some people think. Or was it because it was an animal suffering, an animal offering, and Cain's was an offering of vegetables? Some think it was because of that. But it was not because, really, because that one offering was acceptable and the other was not. Because such offering grain or, or animal offerings, they were both acceptable, acceptable to God in those days. Instead, we read that by faith, Abel offered unto God a better sacrifice. What made the difference? It was by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice. But Cain obviously must not have done so. His heart was not right in faith even before God told him his offering was not pleasing. He saw the attitude, the countenance of Cain in his reaction, which only proved that there was an unrighteous vein of thought in Cain that he was entertaining. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Well, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Look at yourself. See how you're acting. You are angry. And the Lord admonished him. He said in verse 7, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. We know the rest of the story and the first you know, recorded murder in human history that we have written. So, Sin was crouching at Cain's door because of his attitude. You know, when you get into a bad attitude, you weaken yourself. Now, <clears throat> Abel, for his offering, was by faith, and he was commended as a righteous man. You know, faith entails many spiritual things, and such as obedience and love toward God and hope and that is beyond the present. And God did speak well of his offerings. So in that offering, Abel must have shown his need for God's favor, for God's mercy, for his love and for his blessing. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. So we have offerings also to make in our life. Offerings especially of love and our faith toward God. Hebrews 11, I'm just going to read just verse 13. It says that these all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know how, you know, that kind of just weaves its way back to the very first uh, verse in Hebrews. And they, they, uh, the words they declare plainly that they were seeking a better country, a, a better place. And just like we today in our Christian journey, looking at all of the things that, are, that have happened in the, in, in the world, all of the atrocities and 
and, and the corruption and things that we see, we desire a better country. And we know that it will come. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Try to wrap it up here in about an hour. Hebrews 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. I once had a very inspiring coach when I uh, played high school football. And even if you didn't play football, he came, went, came to a pep assembly one time. And he gave a very fiery, dynamic, moving speech about being a Eufaula Ironhead. And a, there was uh, one uh, boy that was sitting next to me. He had just moved in. And he was so impressed that even though he didn't play football, he found the words very inspiring. And he wanted to go out and play football, though he had never played football. There are some people who are like that who know like uh, uh, Mark was mentioning, Martin Luther King, who a great orator, who was able to move people, to make people think. So we read here in inspiring words, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Faith is always a challenge. It must be stirred up at times to be able to see beyond the present, to overcome those things that uh, want to hold us uh, back. And we have to apply the wisdom and knowledge of those saints and the elders who have, have experienced these things like the Apostle James. In James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's like saying, don't get down on yourself. Don't look at it as negative, but put the positive in front of it. Even though at the present, there doesn't seem to be anything positive about it. Because that positive will come. So, count it all joy. Have a positive mind. Don't sink in despair. Once... Long ago, many years ago, I, w uh, I had gone, looked at the book of James, and I was looking at faith. How it, you know, if, if you're not tested, you're not proved yet. But I, I wrote about that, and I may have even given a sermon on it, but it, was, it wasn't long after that that my faith was really tested when I first went into the hospital. I always... I didn't like the sight of a hospital, but I found myself in a hospital bed in excruciating pain. And my faith was tested. And all those things that I had read about, that I had looked at in the book of James, uh, it, it was like, well, let's see if you believe in what you wrote and if you believe in what you said. So when I say have a positive mind, don't sink in despair, I am in a way talking to myself also. Because I know sometimes things come along that really try faith. And 
You know, sometimes, yeah, it's like David said, try my reins, but I, I learned not to ever say that. Try my reins, and I, I did that one time down in, uh, down there at the college, and, uh, and I, there, was a, there was a man there that he was very ill, cancer, and I just wanted to empathize with him more, and I, so I said, you know, uh, show me what it's like, and you know what, I was so depressed. I felt like, just like when Carolyn told me, if you get these symptoms, I was imagining all these cancerous symptoms in me. So, we must pray each and every day because it's that prayer that heals us also. So we know what God can do. We have the testimony of his word, the power he has shown, and so we wait with patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. Second Peter tells us, verse 1, besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So if any of you lack wisdom, however, verse 5, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And let me go to the end. Second Peter 1, 5 were we to fix our eyes on not what's seen. I'm trying to beat the clock here. And I think I've gone over. I think I will leave that for you to, to read because I'm going to go ahead and, and go to the closing. And first, uh, Colossians. Oh, in Ephesians 3, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we have to be able to, to do that. And in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 23, it says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I am Paul, and made a minister. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you don't have this down there, but I titled this, Let Your Light Shine, or Let Light Shine. God said, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure, this knowledge, these precious promises uh, in jars of clay. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are alive, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then... Death is at work in us. That is, you know, in our mortal body. <clears throat> but life is at work in you. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is seen. For what is seen is temporary, 
but what is ahead is eternal. So that which is seen is temporary. And just remember, you know, when uh, the Israelites came to that Red Sea, that God said, told Moses to tell the people, just move on. <laughs> 